0: All right, at this time, very quietly, we have kids that are making their way to the back. They're going to head on over next door, and uh, they are going to have a great time. And uh, so it's, it's going to be amazing. For those who are around, if you want to take your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 21. So we are in uh, the midst of a series entitled A Way Forward. We are looking at the Proverbs, and I don't know about you, but I love the Proverbs, They are an accumulation of pithy sayings that help God's people make better decisions in the present to positively impact their future. And and, and I love it because the way wisdom is pictured in Scripture is it is a pathway that leads us to beautiful places. It also warns us that there are paths that, though they seem enticing, um, they ultimately lead to death and destruction, and so part of it is the invitation to choose uh, better ways. And I'm so grateful that God wants us to experience flourishing in our lives. And, and so today we're going to talk about creating margin. And, and the big idea we're going to think around is simply this that a life of wisdom creates margin for flourishing. A life of wisdom creates margin for flourishing. So, so in our home we have a whole bunch of plants, and um, my wife does an amazing job at, at keeping the plants alive in the house. How many of you you suffer, you struggle with plants at times? You know, um, I know some people do. My wife, she does an amazing job, and every once in a while she's like, "I have to repot things," and I'm like, "Okay," and so I'm just I go along with it. I'm like, "Okay," and so we get the dirt and that, and she'll pull them out. And there's there's a condition that can happen with your house plants in that they can become root bound. Anybody here ever heard of root bound? What that means is the, the bucket or the, the pail gets so packed with uh, roots, there's not really any soil, and actually, instead of flourishing, the plant actually can die. It, it suffers because there, there's no room, and I think that you and I are like that too, that sometimes in our lives, we can get so, like our lives can get so full and so busy That it's like we're root bound and and we can't flourish. And some of you, you know the frustration and the feeling because have you ever felt like you were busy, 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 but it doesn't seem like you're making any progress. And sometimes in our lives we get so full that our lives have no margin. No margin in order to flourish. And so today what we want to do is we want to look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. It's just a simple proverb that we're going to reflect on. And this is what it says. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has. I want to read that again. In the house of the wise are stores. Everybody say stores. And just so you know, that's not like, you know, I was going to say like JCPenney. You know, it's not like Walmart. I was going to say Sears or Kmart. Or, you know, like Banana Republic or wherever you shop, Aldi. That's not what it's talking about. But it says, in the house of the wise, there are stores, that there, there are collections of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Now, this is a great proverb because it contrasts two different lifestyles, the lifestyles of the wise And the lifestyles of the foolish. Now again, as we've looked at, the the wise are those who have discovered the path to flourishing. Now, these are those who have yielded their lives in relationship with the God of creation and the God of covenant. And you see this in the book of Proverbs, that, that they recognize that, that, that their lives are yielded to the God of creation and the God of covenant. The God of creation, how do we know that because God made the world, He understands how it works best. Can I get an amen on that one? Like God knows what He's doing. And so when He gives instruction to us, it's in order that we might experience flourishing. Our trouble is that sometimes we question God's judgment. And sometimes we think we know better than the Creator how to get the good stuff out of life. But the wise people, they recognize that there's a God who's made all of this, and He's the one who gives instruction in order for us to experience flourishing. So they've yielded their lives to the God of creation, but not only the God of creation, the God of covenant. Because the God who made all of this wants to live in relationship with you and me. And so what they do is they learn to live in relationship with the God of creation within this idea of covenant, this, this idea of relationship, in order that they might experience the flourishing. This is why it says in Proverbs chapter 10, uh, 9, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that, that, that as they yield themselves to who God is, they begin to discover the path. And as a part of the path, there are stores that these wise people in their house have stores Of choice food. What that means is this. They don't consume everything they have. They save. They discipline their appetites. They live for more than just the moment, and they are ready when the storms of life come. How many know that life has storms? That life has ups and downs, and and there are some good years, and sometimes there's not so good years. There's good moments, and sometimes not so good moments. And wise people prepare their lives in such a way or live their lives in such a way that they have stores uh, available for the times that they're a part of. Now, this is contrasted with the life of a fool. A fool is one who lives their life according to their own wisdom and according to their own appetite. Proverbs. Uh, so the, the idea of fool in, in Jewish literature or within the Bible is, is a person without a moral compass. They don't recognize the God of creation nor the God of covenant. And they're like, I can figure out best how to get what's good in my life. And, and this is why in Psalm chapter 53, 1, it says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I can figure this out on my own. And, and, and the path of the fool looks like this. They devour all they have. They consume all their resources. Their appetites rule their lives. They live in the moment, and they are not ready when the storms of life come. Now Proverbs presents these two paths. Now what I have found is that many times we live between those two places. Some of us are wise, but not completely wise, and some of us can be fools. But not complete fools. How many of you have made foolish decisions sometimes? Like, we all know that feeling, right? And we, we live between these two places. And for the followers of Jesus, this has been, this has been a warning from the, from the very beginning, especially this whole idea of, of devouring all that they have. So Paul would write to the Philippian church, and he says this, "'For as I have told you before and now tell you again, "'many of you live as enemies of the cross of Christ.'" Now, I think that's interesting. You live as enemies of the cross of Christ. How many know that the cross is not a happy place, but it's a painful place? It's a path of suffering and difficulty. And there are many people who are like, I am not going to walk the path that has pain or difficulty. And and this is kind of how we live. We like ease. We like comfort. We like things that, that just like flow. And when things get hard... I mean, know, oh, sometimes we just give up on things. We say, why even do it? And, and so we watch in our culture, and we watch in churches, we watch relationships fall apart, and we watch people give up on this and give up on that because they're just like, it's just all of a sudden gotten hard. And Paul is writing say, there are some who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, and it says their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. And their mind is on earthly things. That, that even you and me, that sometimes we can, we can allow our stomach or our appetites to lead our lives. And in leading our lives, instead of bringing what we want, we often find destruction. And, and this is why I think that, that we need to be so mindful of it. Because we live in a culture that says... If it's what you want, then it's what you need. And you need to just go get it. Whatever your desires, go fulfill your own desires. But instead of finding flourishing, people continue to experience brokenness and find out that they're on a path to destruction. The writer to the Hebrews would tell the church this, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. That that, that sometimes our appetites are so great that we squander or we give up a future that is good because of what we want in the moment. And I think that's what happens sometimes as we go through life. That sometimes our appetites fill our world up. We, We want things. We want this and we want that. And what happens is our lives get bound by all of our wants and our lives get so full and instead of experiencing flourishing we're experiencing frustration and this is why I think this call to wisdom is so important the life of wisdom creates margin for flourishing and you know have you ever thought what, would, what does life look like when, um, when, when it, it is you know, when a person lives without margin what does a life look like I want to note five things first of all A life without margin multiplies stress and anxiety. Did you know that margin gives us space for living and moving? And without that space in our world, we experience increased emotional tension. And and, and there's a the, the stress levels start to rise. And we find ourselves continually worrying. When we have no margin, our stress levels increase and our anxiety now you know what it's like you know what it's like when you have that full calendar how many of you have ever had a full calendar and and you're trying to figure out how we're going to get all these these things into the calendar and you got your full calendar and you got your to-do list and you're trying to figure out how is this all going to work together and and it becomes stress induced and and then all of a sudden you know you, you that stress begins to be manifest in a whole bunch of different directions Sometimes it it results in in poor interactions with other people. Sometimes it it takes on obsessive-compulsive behaviors for yourself or addictive behaviors because it's just like there's so much stuff. And I want you to know that we live in a culture that pushes more upon us all the time, both explicitly and implicitly. Have you ever heard this for, for you parents here? Have you ever heard things or, or had that sense that good parents will do this? And have you ever had, you know, like, you ever noticed that all the things that are offered to children... And given as an excuse to parents is if you want your kids to be healthy and normal and good, you've got to have them in all these activities. And all of a sudden, you're running from appointment to appointment. You're driving kids here, there, and you're chasing everything because you want to have good kids. How many have ever heard that, felt that? I got news for you parents. Your kids are already messed up. You know, sometimes we think, if I don't do this, my kid's going to be messed up. Well, the, the news is this, is your kid's already come into the world messed up. Every kid is broken and bent by sinful nature that's already present within them. They're no different than you and me. And nothing outside being poured into them is going to change that. And sometimes we think, I've got to do all of this, and, and we get so caught up. And, and, and I've, I've watched parents whose lives get so full of running from this to that to the other that they have no margin in their life and they're stressed out and they're overwhelmed and things start falling apart. Sometimes we hear statements that successful people will do this, that, and the other and, and so we feel like i got this to run this, from this to that in order for me to be successful. Yet again, many of many things of what the world is pushing upon us is not bringing us the flourishing we desire. It's often leaving us overwhelmed. And I want you to know that the sense of no margin happens in both directions of excess and scarcity. So sometimes it's because our schedules are, are too full, like there's just too much going on, and, and we feel the stress of that. But, but sometimes we, we, we have no margin because of the scarcity, because there are no stores available. So uh, yesterday... Rachel and I celebrated 28 years of marriage. Yeah, she's a hero, isn't she? You're like, holy cow, she's put up with you for a long time. And I'm like, I know. And just so you know, we have not had a fight. She has been right every time. And, uh, you know, but but 28 years, right? And so we had to run to Syracuse yesterday, pick up some kids and drive back. And, And as we're driving back, Our our car has the fuel gauge, you know, like everybody else's does. But ours also has the little thing that tells you range. How many love range? You got range on your car. How many miles you have? And I don't know about you, but I like to pay as little for gas as possible. That's how I like to roll. I don't like paying for the expensive fuel. I like cheap fuel. Makes my life happy. And so I'm like, dude, we're coming back from Syracuse. And I'm like, I know. I'm pretty sure. I think we can make it back home and get to BJ's and so we're driving back and I'm driving past gas stations and I'm like I think I got the range I know I got the range it's gonna be good I got the range I know it and then I passed the last gas station before Lansing on Prueville Road and I'm like I I think I can make it and I'm watching the number and I'm like going "Uh uh-oh we get to the bottom of Pruville Road Hill, and my range says three miles. And I'm like going, uh, uh. And, and you can tell that it's like, it's a little stressful that the stress raises because it becomes apparent in the sense that I'm like going, yeah, uh, we probably should stop for gas. And then, and then my wife, who like, it just lights her up too. She's, and she always brings up, I have not run out of gas in my entire life and she goes through all this whole thing you know and so we're having this fun with it because this isn't the first time I've done this but she's just like I have not and I'm like honey we've been married 28 years have we run out of gas yet you know and it's going back and forth and and just so you know there we are on the side of the road no, I'm just kidding I got I'm like hyper miling I'm like going okay coast I'm like go up the hill slowly and then coast down hills and we made it and we got to the corner here. We couldn't make it to BJ's. And I'm like, quick, throw in five bucks. And so I threw in five bucks because I was like, I'm going to make it to BJ's. But, but, but it's interesting that, that sometimes in our lives, there's a, there, there's a fullness that keeps us from having a sense of margin, but sometimes a sense of emptiness. And, and I know sometimes that, that, that as, as we go through life, we are emotionally empty, we feel creatively drained. Um, we, we feel, like, you know, depleted and in so doing. It's just like, how do we even, like, react and respond to what life is like? And, you know, that, that, that's the way life is, is we, we don't always get to choose the events that come before us. And because of it, because we live a life without uh, margin, we multiply stress and anxiety. Yet Jesus says, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life Uh, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? See, and I think this is an interesting thing, because even though we, we get in these stressful situations and we begin to worry, it's actually not adding... Anything. So a life without margin multiplies stresses, stress and anxiety. Not only that, it begins to make messes. So I had an idea of how to man or demonstrate this. I was gonna get a glass and fill it up full, you know, and probably do it with like, you know, like soda, to get it right to the top. You know, you can almost make it and then have someone walk around with it. How many of you used to do waiter and waitress stuff? You know, you used to carry beverages, you know, and try and not make them slop around too bad. And then what I would do is I would fill it right to the brim and then have somebody walk around and then give permission for people to bump into them. Because how many know life is filled with bumps? And the moment you do that, something's going to spill out and it's going to make a mess. And Corsi was like, what are you doing, Pastor Dave? Making my job harder, Right? But but you make a mess. And sometimes in our life, because we lack the margin in our lives, we're actually creating messes. Like there's like emotional overflow that's happening. Like we're, we're, we're so stressed and so bound up that, that like we're saying things and we're treating people in ways that are unhelpful. And we, we just, we, we dig ourselves in some senses more holes. Not only that, when we... Um, live life without margin not only do we multiply stress anxiety make messes but we also miss opportunities and appointments see the problem with devouring all your resources is it hinders your future and, and what, what you know m- many people live with no no margin financially they live paycheck to paycheck now, I don't know, like we live in some interesting times. Like we're watching inflation at like rates that haven't been seen in like 40 years and all those happy things and and the dollar's not going as far. You go to the store and you're like sticker shock. Like I go in and I'm like a candy bar for like a buck, you know, quarter, a buck 50. And I'm like, it's a chocolate bar. I went and got, had to get a soda for my son the other day and like a bottle of it was like two nineteen, and I'm like. Good Lord! And it's, and, and it's hard, isn't it? And, and, and more and more people are just like going, how do I make it from week to week? Now this is something that I think is so important to understand, that, that just in the course of life, like life has ups and downs. The problem is as many times when we are in seasons when things are going well, We enjoy the moments that we're in and we live to the fullness of when life is going well with no anticipation that life is not always going to go well. And so when life doesn't go well, we're not ready for it. Whether it's at a national or global scale or whether it's at an individual personal scale. Because sometimes as we live, we devour all our resources and in so doing, we find ourselves like like robbed, that, that our future opportunities and, and, and appointments are kept because we have no margin. Proverbs 22.7 says this, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. That sometimes even in, in our good times or in the moments that we're in, like our wants and needs are so, so loud that what we begin to do is we begin to uh, we, we take debt upon ourselves, and 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 I'm not here to say whether debt is right or wrong. Debt is just something we need to understand as a part of the world we're a part of, but we need to understand it clearly. Did you know that debt is a certain obligation for an uncertain future? Yet sometimes we go in thinking it's always going to be like this, and it's not necessarily always going to be like that. And in so doing, you've you've made yourself servant or subservient to another. And I think this is important because this is something about us as humans that I think we need to be aware of, especially in regards to our appetites, our wants, our needs, our desires. You can't afford them. Did you know that? That you cannot afford your own appetites and desires. You can't afford them. They, they actually, they'll actually always want more from you than you actually have resource for. They are never satisfied. And because of it, we have, to be, we have to be mindful because sometimes we're missing opportunities and appointments because there is no margin in our lives. And we've overleveraged life to the place where we've even robbed our future. When we live without margin, we miss opportunities and appointments. Not only that, we begin to make excuses, or we begin to shift our our responsibilities where we allow our busyness and our business to get in the way of the grace that is offered to us. There's a a wonderful parable in Luke chapter 14 about a, a man who was throwing a banquet, And he sent out invitations just letting everybody know, guys, I am having an amazing banquet. It's going to be filled with abundance, and, and I want you to come enjoy it with me. And when the time of the banquet came, instead of people saying, I want to experience the abundance, people were just like, no, I can't do it. I'm too busy. Some were saying, you know what, I I got land I just purchased. I got got oxen I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with my stuff. I'm dealing with relationship. I don't have time. And because they had no margin, they missed out on the grace that was being offered them. And they began to make excuses. You see, when we're over-leveraged, all of a sudden we find out we're beginning to make excuses for missed appointments and, and missing this and, and missing that or, or, or trying to hold it all together. And, and the reason is because we've been over-leveraged. The last thing that I would note about a, a life without margin, it multiplies stress and anxiety. It makes messes. It misses opportunities and appointments, makes excuses. And not only that, sometimes we even get to the place where we minimize others. Or we get so caught up in our lives and it becomes about our agenda and and our schedule and and the fullness of all the things going on in our lives and we're not available to others. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Where the man was beaten and, and he was lying on the side of the road bloody near dead. And it says that two people walked past him. And there was no margin in their life where they could actually stop and minister or help the person because they were so caught up in their own life. And sometimes we get so busy, we have no margin to make a difference in the lives of people around us. We're so busy, we don't have time to respond to the needs and this is why I think it's so important that you and I in our lives, that if we're going to experience flourishing, we actually have to create margin. We have to create margin. We have to resist the message of the world that seeks to fill our lives to, to places where, where we become so bound that instead of flourishing, we, we shrivel and die. We need to be reminded that all that stuff is not our Savior. All that stuff, all that stuff, the things that occupy our time, our attention, all these things, that's not our Savior. You see, there is a God who has rescued and redeemed us, who knows what we need and invites us to listen and trust Him. And really, this is the path of wisdom. Wisdom creates margin for flourishing. And so just in the, in the next couple of moments, I want to highlight some practices to create margin. because I think in all of our lives, there's a need for us to create margin. And, and so how do we begin to do it? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to determine our priorities. We need to learn to choose what is better. You see, the reality is is there's all these voices that are competing for our time and our attention and our resource. like We're getting ready to start a school year and kids are going to go back to school and how many know there's going to be lots of things that there's voices and time and attention that's going to call. Like you listen to, you know, you're on the internet, you're on the, you know, you're, you're driving around. There's all these things that are competing for your time, attention, and resources. And if you don't have priorities established, then what you'll find out is other people will begin to establish priorities for you. The story is told of Mary and Martha where Jesus came and Martha was so busy and distracted that there was no margin in her life while Mary sat down at Jesus' feet, which is the position of one who is saying, I am following, I'm listening, I'm learning from you. And, and, And Martha's all busy around and Martha finally gets so frustrated, she says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I love Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Everybody say, many things. I mean, our lives get filled with many things. And he says to her, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things. Everybody say, few things. Few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Oh, that simplifies it even further. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. See, she she began to figure out what, what is the important stuff. Is it the many things that need to go on or is it, is it the, the, really that there, there's like some few things we need to make sure we've prioritized properly in our lives and then even within that, there's one thing. I think that if we don't get our priorities right, we don't make good decisions and we don't get the margin we need. So my wife and I who've been married for 28 years we keep revisiting our priorities. We keep reminding ourselves, like it, it, for us, we have a set of four priorities that, that we have lived by. Our number one priority is God. It was Jesus who said, in the context of worry, in the context of stuff, in the context of all the things that we busy ourselves needing, he says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is the one thing. When we begin to prioritize our lives around the Creator and our covenant with the Creator, it begins to help us make way better decisions. Secondly, our second priority is our spouse, one another. The third thing is our kids. The fourth thing is work. That's our priorities. Now, when our priorities get out of line, it's interesting how it affects our lives. Sometimes people have have, are just like going, you know what, I'm prioritizing relationship with another above God. Now, Now, some people do this. The reason I know this is because they engage in a relationship. In a way that's contrary to what God wants, yet they they and they can even come to church, but they're fine to live outside of God's will for relationship, and the reason is, is because they've actually prioritized relationship with another before relationship with God. In so doing, anything that is positioned above God is actually an idol, and the relationship becomes the idol. And I've watched that happen. And many people are trying to experience flourishing in life, yet they will not honor God in their relationship. If you begin to put God first in your relationship, it's going it's to change the relationship. Because God challenges our appetites, our assumptions, our desires, our wants, and, 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 and draws us closer to His purpose, which leads us to flourishing. Sometimes... I've watched people do this where they begin to prioritize their children over their spouse. I believe that when you do that, instead of blessing your kids, you actually burden them. What I consider the best gift you can give to your kids is to love your spouse well. When you love your spouse well, you actually help your children. The problem in our society is we've actually elevated the value of our children or prioritized the value of our children sometimes to unhealthy places. And I've watched people fill up their schedules with everything that they feel they need to make sure that their kid is happy and healthy, yet they never have time for their spouse. If you have filled your calendar with appointments for your children, but you do not have a regular scheduled date night with your spouse, you may not have your priorities properly aligned. And the reason is, is because when you kid, when you love well as a couple, it positively impacts your children. To demonstrate this, I'll give you here's some data or some. Children from broken homes don't function relationally as well as kids within happy homes or or within strong marriages. And the reason is, is because your children are learning how to do relationship by watching mom and dad. And if mom and dad are not doing relationship well, that stuff is being pushed down to them. And that's why when you misprioritize your children, you actually hurt them. This is why I I keep going back to, you want to create margin in your life, determine your priorities. Determine your priorities. What is important for us? And again, we live in a culture that says in order for our kids to be happy and healthy, they need all these things. But let me tell you, all the things that the world is offering our children is not going to change the condition of their heart. It is not going to save their soul. And this is why, I, and, and I used to be a youth pastor, and my, my favorite was where I had, I had one family that would punish their kid by not letting them go to church. I was like, what is wrong with you? Right? They could do other school stuff, but we'll punish you if not let you go to church. I know, I know lots of people that will fill up their, their kids' schedules with everything but church. Now, I, we, are, we are blessed as a church because we are a church with lots of kids. And, and we, we, are, we are indeed blessed by that. But part of it is we have to be intentional about what's good and healthy and proper for our kids. We've got to determine our priorities. If we're going to create margin, because if not, all the voices will fill our schedule. Not only that, we need to master our appetites that if we are going to create margin in our life, we have to uh, master our appetites. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth who had a philosophy that everything is permissible. Everything is permissible. You're free in Christ. You do whatever you want. And Paul's response would be, yeah, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And then he echo again. Well, they say, well, everything is permissible. And then Paul would respond by saying, yeah, but I will be mastered by nothing. Mastered by nothing. The truth is, as many times, we become mastered by our appetites, by our wants. We let our wants and our desires lead us. And the truth is, is what we feed in our life is what's going to lead us. If you continually give in to your appetites, your appetites will lead you. And that's why it's so important that that as followers of Jesus, we understand the importance of disciplining our appetites where we make ourselves the masters of our wants. This is why for the church, the practice of fasting has been something that we've done from the very beginning because you know what fasting does? Fasting disciplines appetites. Because what you're doing is you're actually telling yourself, you know what? I am going to say, and sometimes you, you fast food, and fast, not McDonald's fast food, but you, you're fasting from food, right? I fast food every once in a while, and it feels good. Um, anyways, burger and fries, baby. Anyways, but, but fasting food is this, is where you say, you know what? I understand that my appetite, specifically my food appetite, can begin to lead my life. And, and just so you know, we all know this to be true. Anybody here ever been hangry? Come on now. All right, you know what hangry means, right? It means if I don't eat, I get cranky, and I'll throw a fit. Okay, do you know what little children do? When they're hungry, they throw a fit, okay? Now, did you know that many times in our lives, we satisfy, uh, we, we use different things To satisfy parts of us that actually aren't, I'll say healthy or beautiful. How many of you, you you can be an angry, ugly, ugly, angry. You know what I'm talking about? And if you don't give me my food, I'm going to get all ugly on you. Well, Just so you know, you may think the reason I'm ugly, angry is because I don't have food. If I had food, I wouldn't be angry. And the truth is actually opposite. The reason you're angry isn't because you don't have food. But the anger is in you. The lack of food has removed the thing that you use to keep your anger down. But the anger is in you. This is why whenever you do fasting, it's always interesting to see what comes up. You'll find out when you start going without food, because you know this, all of a sudden the kids get incredibly bothersome. And I'm getting a little more irritable. Some of you, you're like going, dude, we're past noon. It's, Some of you are getting a little irritable already. Would you just end this thing? I need to go eat, right? And, and, and the reason is, is because it's in us But we never give room for God to deal with it, and so because of it, we use our eating as something to suppress the dissonance inside. Fasting allows stuff to come to the surface so we can begin to deal with it in the light of God's goodness and His grace. Because how many know God doesn't want us to be ugly angry? He wants us to have life. And if you can deal with the ugly angry that's in you, Your relationships are going to improve. Like the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your co-workers, that all begins to change. Because all of a sudden you're saying, you know what? My appetites are not my master. This is why Paul in writing to the church in Rome would say this. To those who live according to their flesh have their mind set on the flesh's desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God and does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. That if we're going to live lives that please God, we actually have to learn to master our appetites. A couple other things as we close. Pastor Joanne, you can come on up because that will really make me close. <laughs> Practices to create margin. We have to determine our priorities. We have to master our appetites. We have to learn to manage our time and resources. Moses prayed, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need God's help in managing our time. I, If you read the story of Jesus, you will find that he is not running around like his... Like, his, with a, like a chicken without a head. He's not running around all frenzied. He's actually sleeping at different points. He's sleeping in the midst of storms. Uh, he, he has, he's able to walk toward adversity rather than run from it. And the reason is, is because there is a calm in him because he knows he's living in the will of God. Sometimes in our lives, we are so busy and frenzied and harried Because there's a lot of things or some things we've taken in upon our lives or placed upon our lives that are actually not in God's will. And that's why we need to learn to manage our time better. We we need to learn to manage our finances. We we have to commit ourselves to to live on less than we make, to, to practice regular savings. This is why Proverbs says, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers little by little makes it grow. How do you get stores of choice stuff in your house, well, you start saving little by little. You don't spend it all. And in so doing, you're actually preparing yourself for things that are down the road. How do you create margin in your life? This one I think is counterintuitive, but it does it. It's actually practice generosity. Practicing generosity, you see... See, part of the reason we, we have no margin is because we're grasping at all these different things and we have a really hard time letting things go. Do you know what generosity begins to allow us to do? To let things go. Some of you are holding on to junk that you really don't need. But you are, you are tied to your junk. You're so committed to it. you got a storage unit to hold some of it. Stuff you don't even use. But you know it's there. It makes you feel good. You're so tied to stuff generosity. says, you know what? I can give. This is why Proverbs says in Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. They're they're just holding on. And you know what? There's a poverty that they're manifesting. So it goes on to say, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. How do you create margin? Become Generous. Begin to give of your time. Begin to give of your resources. Begin begin to say, you know what? I don't need to be bound by this. I'm beginning to just share. Begin to free some stuff up. Okay, the last thing I would know on how to develop generosity, and this is, I think, an important one. We have to develop the discipline of rest. Discipline of rest. So if you remember the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Sabbath was also known as the day of rest. And the reason for it is, there's two reasons for it in Exodus. The reason for the day of rest is rooted in creation. God created the whole world in six days and on the seventh day, he rested, right? And so there's a sense that, hey, you know what? Even God rested. Some of you think you're better than God so you can't rest. I personally find the reason for the fourth commandment incredibly compelling in Deuteronomy because it's not actually rooted in creation. It's rooted in the Exodus. See, the the way it's shaped in, in, in the Deuteronomy account is this. You were slaves in Egypt. Do you know how much time slaves get off? always a slave you're always a slave you, you, have to, you have to work, sun up, sun down no days off, you're at the beck and call of, of, of your slave masters and so, like you are a slave and so God says hey but just, just so you know remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy because you know what you have to remember you're not a slave you're not a slave to your appetites. You're not a slave to your history. You're not a slave to your sin. Because of the grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ, He has broken that which bound us. And because of it, we can rest. It was Jesus who said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know what people with no margin need? they need rest and it's a discipline to cultivate to say you know what I'm going to create margin in my calendar I'm going to create space so I can just connect with God that I can, just, I can just breathe without the sense of obligation that I got all these things to do hey you know what there's always the work days and you know the Bible has lots to say about work you work six days So don't worry about work. But you better learn how to rest. And I want you to know we're not slaves. Jesus set us free. He set us free so we don't have to live under the tyranny of our appetites, our wants, our feelings, our history, so that we can have margin to flourish. A life of wisdom creates margin for flourishing. And this is the reason Jesus came. To bring freedom and peace. So Maybe you came today and you're a little overwhelmed. Maybe you're a little crazy. Hey, it's time to create some margin. It's time to receive grace today. It's time to take a few moments and determine our priorities. Master our appetites, manage our time and resources, practice generosity, and develop a discipline of rest. Because in doing those things, we begin to live. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness. I thank you for your people who are here. Thank you for those who are listening. God, you see the burdens we carry. Lord, you see the margin. And God, I thank you that you've come to set us free. Lord, that we can live in the fullness of who you are. That we're your children. Redeemed by you. I thank you that you are in the process of restoring us. And Lord, as we listen to your word... As we reflect upon it, God, would you help us become who you've called us to be? We need you, in Jesus' name.